0: Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues.
1: This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Reya, it's business, but it's personal.
0: Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Luke Owen, award-winning designer and founder of the eponymously named bespoke hand-knotted rug company, Luke Owen. Founded in 2003, the idea for the business came from a chance meeting the year before with a Tibetan weaver's son. Luke became fascinated by the rug-making process and was driven to explore contemporary rug designs, which to this day are all still hand-knotted using traditional methods in Nepal, India and Pakistan. Three years ago, Luke discovered a Roman villa underneath his home while laying electrical cabling. How about that? The discovery was unparalleled in size and historical relevance and is one of several inspirations for Luke's designs. Hello and thank you for joining. It's very nice to be here. 2003 was an important year for you. It... Yes, it was, but it, this began in 2002. And I believe you had a lunch where you happened to meet someone. Uh, tell me about this person who uh, helped you change your life. So 2002 it was the World Cup final,
2: and there was a lunch party at my now parents-in-law, and I sat beside this little boy, this 12-year-old boy, and we were chatting, and he said his father was Tibetan. And at that point, my only sort of knowledge of Tibet particularly was Tintin. Tintin in Tibet and so I was fascinated he kind of said and we and I said, where, where do you live and he said well, we live in Kathmandu and at the time I was working in an antique store outside of Hungerford which was just misery because nobody ever came in and it was just the most boring thing and I said what does your father do in Kathmandu and he said well he's a master weaver he has mills and he makes rugs and this got me to thinking I thought for about six months about design. And I thought, you know, I don't want to do something that has been, there's a hackneyed version of something that's gone before. And finally, I had a eureka moment, which was actually out of a fit of pique, because I saw somebody who had a a, a rug which was based on a maze or a labyrinth, and that annoyed me, having spent six months thinking about something. And I hit on the idea of doing a collection of rugs based on crop circles. Now, I have no interest in crop circles whatsoever, but it was perfect because it's a bird's eye view. And its different pile heights define the actual graphic. And what they were were they were based on real crop circles, which real, apparently which happened in Sussex and Hampshire in the mid-'90s. And so you could say, if you bought one, you could say, "This is a crop circle," or you could just say, "This is a modern graphic on a rug." And so this rolled on until about seven or eight years ago. I got an email from the chair of Crop Circle Research at <laughs> MIT thanking me for all I'd done. Four crop circles, and by the way, the eight or nine I chose to do, they thought were all real, which is kind of strange. So that is how it began, and then I sort of limped on at this antiques place while the rugs were being made, and and then they appeared. You're so invested in the creation that the most peculiar moment happened when somebody walked in and said, "I'd like to buy that," and I made the ultimate mistake where I kind of said, "I was so taken aback that now somebody wants to give me money for something that I've created." And they said, but can we change the color and the size? And the mistake I made was I said, you can have whatever you want. And no customer wants to hear they're going to have whatever they want. They want you to actually say, well, why don't you try it in blue and beige and have it this size and we'll change the... And that. Was, and that is where this all began.
0: And selling it, was it this in
2: your own shop at that point? Or? No, no. No, right. no. This was still in the antiques place. Okay. And
0: so this was a kind of the beginning of something there. And how long did it take before you moved from the antiques place on the side, as it were, into your own, your own place? Leaving the antiques place was rather
2: quicker than I'd anticipated because, as I said, nobody ever came in there. And therefore, I was made redundant about six months later. At this point, I'm 32, 33, 34, whatever age it was. And you now are running out of options. And I'd realized at this point that I was, without doubt, the world's worst employee. I had no comprehension of the quid pro quo of, if you sit here between nine and six, five days a week, we'll give you X a week. I thought, if you do great work for the first three hours, and can I have the afternoon off and go to a matinee and, and just sort of chill out? But this now focused my mind because I'd just got married. There was no other income and everything was loaded into this business. It's sink or swim. So let's say that happened in early 2004. I didn't open the store in London until
0: 2010. Just going back in time a bit, you mentioned something about being the world's worst employee and I... and I uh, my. My sources tell me on good authority that you were uh, uh, sacked as a porter from Christie's because um, apparently she didn't turn up. So that, that that's corroborate your story of I don't understand why uh, this quid pro quo thing of being an employee. Um, but I like this. I want to just read this quote because I want you to tell me a little bit more about it. I am the opposite of the well brought up child with a strict routine and cannot bear the mundanity of two days being the same. That's the Architectural Digest. Excellent. Well that well-known well known publication, 10th of July 2017. It sounds like in those six years, no two days were the same. The, when the business is your own, they're not. That obviously appealed to you as a human being and your,
2: the way you were wired. Hugely. I mean, I think what shaped me very much was my early career was all in the theatre. I was a theatre in Dublin, and the only way you could make ends meet was you would rehearse a show during the day and you would run a show at night. So you were working 18-hour days, and that's great when you're... 20 or 18 or whatever it was. But it makes your whole professional mindset very project-orientated. So you rehearse for four weeks towards first night. And as you get older, you sort of recognise your own weaknesses. And my weakness is very much, if you told me I had to do the same thing every day, I would really struggle with that. Mm. In my defence at Christie's, at the time I was paid £3,000 a year. And we're talking 1986, 1987. And that's not... 1896 you know this is this three thousand pounds a year was you know way below poverty level you had a harry enfield on television doing loads of money and that sort of thing so so i've always been very against interns and underpaying people through my own mindset which is this this idea that that i had which is well they're not really paying me anyway so if i don't turn up on tuesday does it really matter (laughs) Not seeing the bigger picture that actually you were trying to work and struggle towards getting a better job or a paid job or whatever. So, yeah, you, there, there is definitely the sort of the gypsy element that yeah. you can wander off. Not that I have much time now to do that. Let's say to the Tate or whatever of an afternoon
0: and just look at some paintings and it, and it sort of stirs your mind. Well, I was going to say, in your game, and you're a creative person who's now created a, a business around ideas and around bringing those to life through textures and textiles and so on, inspiration is really important. And in those six years, uh, before we get to the, uh, the shop which is on Pim- is it Pimlico? Pimlico Road. Pimlico Road, right. And in fact, I've driven past it many times. A very simple typeface. I'm a fan of typeface. I like that. It's uh, the only typeface on the moon. Oh, well, there you go. Is that right? Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> you learn a new thing every day. Um... What were you doing? You were making more rugs. I mean, is that, and then you would just didn't have a plate. How did you sell them? Where did you sell them? So the selling was very
2: much through PR. So it was through publications. Your shop window was the Telegraph magazine, World of Interiors, House and Garden. And it was direct to interior designers. And the reason is an interior designer will have 10 clients. If the design is OK and if you deliver on time, they'll, they'll keep using you. And it was, it was sort of enough. But you worried after the first the coherence of the first collection being based on crop circles. Mm. You then panic that I'll never think of another idea again. But your next idea was? My next idea, I think, was actually labyrinths and mazes. OK. And again, it was spiritual, geometric, weird. You see it from above. And now the problem you have is there are so many designs in my head, we don't
0: possibly have the means to make them all. hmm and we're going to hold that because we're going to work out how you then uh, address that issue. And indeed, um, there's a new thing I we'll also want to talk about, which is your card collection, the Billet Connection, which is also about you having things in your head which someone else has to help you realise. Much more coming up from my guest, Luco, and that's in a couple of minutes. But first, let's hear from one of our partners at Mishkondar with some advice for your business.
3: I'm Daniel Farrand. I'm an associate in the planning group at Mishkondar part of the wider real estate department. You may find, as a uh, as a business or as a small business, or if your business grows, that um, you're having problems finding accommodation. This may be partly in due to the fact that permission has been given nationwide, with a few minor exceptions, uh, to allow offices to be converted to residential. An awful lot of office stock, therefore, is being converted to much more valuable uses for owners. That causes big problems for those who want to occupy small. Units because those are the ones that are clear targets for the exercise of this right. There is some hope on the horizon, however. Uh, We've been engaged with a few clients uh, on on large mixed-use development schemes who have either offered or have been asked to provide starter units for commercial occupiers, um, be they tech startup industries or or just small office or retail units. This is almost the equivalent of affordable housing for the residential sphere where, uh, in granting permission for housing development, a local authority might insist that some of those are made available to uh, those who can't afford afford to occupy it on the open market. A similar sort of concept of affordable commercial units is gaining more ground and is worth investigating.
1: Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business. But it's personal.
0: Luke Owen is my business shaper today. He's the founder of the upon named Bespoke Hand Knotted Rug Company. I just like saying those words uh, together. It's kind of bizarre. You probably didn't think that you were going to be doing this when you were growing up. We were talking about how you got the business up and running. And really, in a way, this business is different because it starts with some items that you create. And then what I'm interested in is how you can morph from creating a few. And we talked about the second collection and whether you could keep up with all those, you know, the great ideas. How does it scale? Because you need a certain number of people to make the rugs. They need to sell. They need to sell at the right price. The business of this has to kick in at some point. You go from having a few nice ideas to actually I'm paying rent on Pimlico Road. I've got distributors who want my stuff. It becomes a serious thing. Yeah, and that's a major problem. Do you remember that tipping point when you realise I can't just sort of do a few things here? There's a bit more to it. Or are you still in denial, Luke? I'm still sort of in denial. Yeah, I figured you
2: were. Um, But oddly it came in about 2008. And you saw the world as we knew it just came crashing down around our ears. And at this point, I'm still effectively dealing out of the back of my car. You know, you're going to London showing interior designers uh, little samples. In some instances, you're showing them full rugs in, in sort of NCP car parks, you know, because their offices aren't big enough to roll out a full scale rug. And at that moment, what what you do is you roll through a business. You become very measured about risk. You are not averse to it. You are not frightened of it. But you get inured to it. I began to have a mindset, certainly me. I can only speak for myself. What's the worst that can happen? Mm. I'm not going to be beheaded tomorrow morning if this all goes up in smoke. So in two thousand eight, nine I thought this is the moment where and particularly with rugs, people need to see them, they need to touch them, they need to have the feel of it. If it's got silk in it or cashmere or whatever. You are you going to spend an awful lot of money on something which is effectively sold to you on a promise or a little sample? And that was the moment when I decided A, I have to open a store. And there was a a logical reason, which was at this point on the Pimlico Road, there must have been 10 empty stores. So the landlord is thrilled that somebody's coming along saying, yeah, I'll take that store. The rents are lower. Mm. And the other flip side (coughs) is that the PR is exponentially much greater because at that time, I'm sure you remember, every single story was such-and-such such is closing down, yeah, world Everything is, is... And here's a story. And now, this isn't sort of national press, like a rug designer's opening a store on the Pimlico Road.
0: But exponentially, you got more traction than you would have done if you'd opened in a boom. And at that time, when it becomes more serious and there's rent to pay every month, did you have to scale up your operation in terms of manufacturing?
2: No, because the manufacturing is all subcontracted. Because whether it's in Nepal or India or Pakistan... The more p- things are commissioned, the bigger the team. Yeah. And all, effectively, they want to do over there is fill the looms. They want to keep the weavers busy. Obviously, that generates more business for them and more income for them. So you can expand and contract. I mean, that's, in a sense, a joy of subcontraction is suddenly, if you don't have any orders, you don't have 3,000 members of a workforce that you are responsible for. The downside of that is you don't have exclusivity with these manufacturers. And when you are at various points that I have been and you know, remain to a large degree. You don't have a huge amount of leverage because of the scale and volume you're doing compared to some of the big American beasts who are coming in and saying, we want, you know, 3 million square feet a year. Mm. And you're doing 100,000.
0: Y- y- it's got to be on personal relationships and we're going to come to that in a moment actually I want to talk about um, a, a personal relationship of sort not yours directly with this particular customer uh, one President Barack Obama but the the luck if you like and, and how things can change when a big thing like that happens and I've now uh, intrigued you if you're listening uh, because you're going to hear what Luke Cohen made which got gifted to President Obama very shortly. Time for some more music this is Willie Bobo with Always There <laughs> What a racy version there of uh, always, I always (laughs) want to say the word racy and I just did. That was Willie Bobo. Um, You're listening to Jazz Shapers and Luke Evans, my business shaper. And um, I mentioned President Barack Obama's name because he was gifted a beautiful rug. Yeah. Yes. By um, the Irish nation, a rug that you made. A rug that I made, one of the joys... And this was 2008, and the reason I mention that in the context of stuff going wrong in the world and then his inauguration happens, there's a gift, it happens to be made by this man called Luke Irwin, and suddenly everyone's going, who's this guy? And I imagine that gave you quite a big lift in terms of where your business eventually ended up. Even if not at the moment, at that moment, it probably
2: happened.
1: Yes,
0: but the story of,
2: effectively, the rug that was given to him is a a rug called Doves and Stripes. And And what it is, it's the American flag. And that day... At this, I sort of need to give the context of when it was. Obama and Hillary were slugging it out in the primaries in 2007-8 as to who was going to be the Democratic candidate. And that day, I'd spent the day looking at books of Amish quilt designs, that sort of thing. And as I was going to sleep that night, I was thinking about the Union Jack, weirdly, and thinking what a hackneyed design it is. And I think it's hackneyed because there's no copyright on it. And I was thinking about other cool flags and thinking Stars and Stripes is really cool, except the design's all up in one corner. And then I fell asleep. And as I fell asleep, the stars turned into
0: doves and they started flying across the stripes. Just to be in your head for a minute would be really weird and cool
2: well honestly
0: i just want to jump in
2: yeah it was Was was
0: so you saw this you're visualizing this thing and then you you wake with a start you wait what did you just you made a quick note scribble yes
2: but the joy and the privilege of what i do is you can turn your whimsies into tangible things yeah and so i did it just because it amused me it entertained me it was at a time where i so wanted obama to prevail and to win and so we create this rug and then you know I grew up in Ireland and then I got this call saying, would you be interested in this rug being given to Obama? And I said, 100%. So a rug that was sort of slightly inspired by his primary run ends up with him. Anyway, I, I, and I have no idea where it is now. I have no idea if, if it's, um, it's in some presidential gift depot in Idaho. I mean, I wouldn't have a clue. It <laughs> <Yeah>, probably
0: but... <laughs> is. Let's not think about that. Let's <laughs> pretend it's in a really happy house. It, and, and it should be. And it should be. But that, that, that leads me to this. The, the serious part about your business is the growth of it internationally. You've got stockists in Australia and Belgium and Korea and in the Lebanon and the US as well. And, in fact, you've got a, this, um, this new collection, which has been, I think, done in collaboration with um, the cabinet makers little house stock called Seeds of Power, taken from that original design, or, or rather uh, has its um, inspiration in that design. It sort of marries together because, if
2: effectively, you and I have the same power. We have one vote. All of us have the same power. And what I wanted to do, particularly at this sort of odd juncture in history, is in some ways we feel that that equal power has been somehow hijacked or devalued or whatever. So I came up with a chair design where the frame of the chair is the hammer and sickle, and the upholstery of it. Is this Doves and Stripes original rug design, which when it was originated, funnily enough, I showed it and Bush was still president and I was showing it at a show in New York and somebody came on, came onto the stand. and They go, well, what's this about? And I go, well, there is no actual real political undertone to this. You can interpret it any way you like. You could say now because of Gulf War and terrorist strikes and all of that that peace is leaving America. Or, with your new president, Obama, you could say that you're re-exporting peace. Mm. But it was it was initially, there was no political undertone to my dream, but initially it's perceived as goodness that America historically has actually pushed out into the world. And now ten years on from that, with isolationism and closing the doors and nationalism, which, you know, coming from Ireland, I've seen firsthand... And possibly one of the very few places in Europe, certainly Western Europe, where you've seen nationalism firsthand, what it does. And it's bloodshed and it's chaos Mm. and it's venal and it's vicious. And so I am violently against any form of shutting down the boundaries. Now, the chair itself, effectively, what it is, is it's in some ways a work of art rather than something you would have at your kitchen table. But it is a conversation piece in which conversation happens. And that is the idea behind it, that people actually start thinking. And the person in the chair, I wanted to create something that was speaker's corner, that you could sit in and you could discourse about power as you perceive it. And that is to be a postman and a bus driver as much as some celebrity. Mm. You know, we are slightly obsessed with celebrities if their opinion matters and counts more than anybody else's. But one of the great things about, in a way, a few great things about Trump and things like Brexit is that this disaffection. With celebrity, with elite, that actually all our voices matter, and a lot of it has been a pushback against this elitism that is perceived within,
0: you know, intelligentsia or whatever. And really, you're very lucky because you get to express yourself and talk about those very things through your work. And indeed, I want to talk about artisanship as well. That's all in my final chat with Luke. Um, plus, we'll be playing a track from Kurt Elling, and that's all coming up in just a moment.
1: Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. In the wine light,
0: living, loving, soft delight. Smooth and mellow, feeling how we move so right. That was curtailing the soft and gentle sound curtailing in the wine light. My business shaper just for a few more minutes is Luke Owen. He's been talking about making things and making things that have a message. And that's really a privilege, I think. You can uh, do clever things like that and take that very creative mind of yours um, and make things. Not many people make things anymore, at least not in the way you do. Do you see yourself as a a spokesperson for the importance of making things properly? Or is it just about Luke Owen making things properly? I don't
2: presume to speak for anyone else or anything. I think we have lost the ability to look and to judge and to see. You know, if if you walk down a street now, you'll see most people looking at their phones. We can't judge. We judge quality now by its cost rather than actually picking it up and if it's tea, smelling it, or if it's a rug, touching it, or whatever. We, we've lost that ability. A lot of things I do for my own amusement or intellectual stretching of we can do this, and, and I don't look around. I don't read any interiors magazines. I don't, you have to follow what it is that you think is the right thing. And then sometimes you're ahead of the curve and everybody goes, my God, that's amazing, that's clever, and that's brilliant, and blah, 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 blah. And other times you're, you just get it wrong and it just doesn't happen. With design, you can't have a fear of failure.
0: The, the, it strikes me, um, as you're talking, Luke, that you're, there was a, a column by, I've his name, back at the FT, and it was called Life in the Slow Lane. And it was all about what you've just described. And most people run, including me. We run through life and we're on this crazy trajectory. Yours is very is a lovely old-fashioned view of the world, which is give me space, I'll think I've got I can make stuff enough stuff that the business you know I'm making making good living and all that but you really enjoy that and it's almost two fingers up to all those people probably when you were growing up they said well where's your proper profession dear boy is there a bit of that yes and no I mean I live half the
2: week in London half the week in the country with lots of chickens I read There's about I think Fox got
0: some I think about six left that's more than I've got well, well, most people have got. I mean, I like chickens. They're low maintenance animals. I like chickens. <laughs> Seven billion chickens on the planet, apparently. So that's extraordinary. Same amount as humans. Yeah, amazing. Maybe they're not being so chivalrous and kind <laughs> as you <laughs> are to the chickens. <laughs> but 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 seriously, that that sense of 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 space and of, of and of it being an antithetical to what most people think a career looks like.
2: Yes, and I, but but it is. I couldn't exclusively live in London. I couldn't exclusively live in the country. I have to have both. And the country is like the oxygen. And I don't mean that literally like the pure air or anything. It's room to breathe and to look and to think. And it was a few years ago I was doing an interview and my wife took the mickey out of me because of it because i said i'm sitting and this was just off the top of my head i'm sitting in my garden and if you asked me what the color was i'd say it's green but actually now i look it's 28 shades of green most of us don't stop and look and think and consider and actually boil it back to just being animals which we are and the senses that we have which have now
0: been diluted because of the genius of technology. You will carry on doing this, won't you? I mean, this isn't... I have no choice. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, uh, you feel compelled to it because this is probably what you're about. It's fantastic you found the thing that you like doing, which also happens to be what you do to make money. It's been a real privilege talking to you, Luke, and I wish you very well with your new um, little foray into the world of cards, which people should check out if they can. It's the billet du... Be let to do collection, which will pop up in some very nice designer hotels. All these little French sayings with lovely drawings, which again were in your head, but someone visualised them for you, which is fabulous. And I look forward to all the new creations and reading all about them, and hopefully seeing you again. Just before I let you go, though, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? The song
2: choice is West End Blues by Louis Armstrong, and I chose it because nobody else ever has.
0: <laughs> Here it is, just for that reason. was West End Blues by Louis Armstrong. The song choice of my business shape is today, Luke Irwin. A project view of the world derived from his time in theatre. Really interesting if you think about that and the application of business. He became measured with his attitude towards risk. Really important if you're going to set up your own thing. I love the way he talked about turning his whimsies into tangible things. He makes stuff and he does that through creativity that's in his head. And that point which I think is really relevant to us in this incredibly busy life that we all lead. Stop look, think and consider and you will see different things. That's it from Jazz Shapers.
1: ta have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope
0: you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or head over to mishkondorea.com forward slash Shapers.